Father, we come before you and thinking about what we just sang together as your people, as your church. There is no one like you. Nowhere. Nowhere on earth, in the universe, in the cosmos, anywhere that could possibly be searched, there is no one like you. Father, your holiness is above all. Your glory outshines everything. Your character, who you are, what you have done for us, the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory that we see there. There there is nothing like it. And Father, now we come before you and we ask that you would again prepare us to, to hear your word that you would prepare us to see the glory that you have for us here in Ecclesiastes. Father, it's very easy for me to think about me in this moment, uh, to think about all my weaknesses, to think about all the ways that I can mess up, all the ways that I can misspeak on certain things. And once I get through, it's very easy for me to think, you know, how, how did these people see your word at all when all they can see is my imperfections and the mistakes that I make? But I pray that you would help me to forget all of those things and that you would help them to look past me and to behold your glory, your holiness that, that flows through these words that we are about to look at. Father, may they be put on display here this morning and may your people receive them. Through Your Word, by the power of Your Word, may You build them up. May You refresh their very souls. May You draw them closer to You and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And may, may He be seen in the midst of all of these verses that we are about to look at. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're not already there, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That's where we're going to be at this morning. The end of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and all the way through chapter 10. We're going to be covering that whole chapter this morning. And a few weeks ago, I was talking with Mike over the phone. He and I talk uh, every so often, every once a month, something like that. I'll call him and check, see how he's doing, see how his family's doing. He'll ask, see how everything's going down here. And so he was asking me how things were going and along with that he asked me how preaching through Ecclesiastes was going. And I was honest with him. I said I, I really love the book but it's, it's very hard. It is a very hard book to preach through. But at the same time I'm very glad that we have been going through this book together because even though it's hard and even though sometimes I don't think I do an adequate job of putting it before you, there have been a lot of things that have happened in the recent months, sickness and death and things like that, that have really brought a, a weight with it. As we go through, the, through these verses, through this book, what the preacher has been telling us. And I don't know about you, but... I've done a couple of funerals since I've been preaching through this book. 
And I have to say that when I stand before the presence of death and I stand before the presence of those people going through it in that moment because of what I've seen here and because of what we've been going through, because of what I've been preaching, I have a a new weight that just lays on my shoulder because of all the, the language that the preacher has to say about death and the brokenness of, of our world and how life is uncertain, like what we were talking about last week. You know, death is certain. Life itself is uncertain. But in the midst of all of that, in light of those two things, go and enjoy God's gifts while He gives them to you for as long as you have them. So my experience with this book has been very weighty. And I just want to ask, has it been the same way for you? Have you, have you felt a weightiness as we have walked through this book together? If you remember, whenever we started in, in chapter 1, and I was given an introduction to Ecclesiastes, I said that many people come to this book and they think that the author of Ecclesiastes is just very skeptical about life. His, his view on things is that you know, there's no meaning whatsoever. Who cares what you do? There's, just, there's no purpose. You know, our world is broken Joy is impossible to find because everything is taken from you. So he just says, you know, find joy until you die because, you know, that's just what you can do. You know, he's very, he, he goes about it in a very skeptical way. That's how a lot of people come to this book. But that's not how he views the world at all. And that's not the reason why he wrote this book to the original audience, and that's not why he wrote it to you or to me. He cares about life. He cares about your life. He cares about how you view life, about what you think about it. That's why we've been seeing you know, chapter after chapter this man commend wisdom to us. The whole purpose that he continually brings up wisdom in all the different ways that he does and then compares it with foolishness through poetry and through proverbs, putting them together in very vivid images. The whole reason why he does that is not so that you can become a, a smarter person or so that you can become more intellectual or so that you can become more successful in your life. You know, business smarts, you could say. That's not His purpose of putting wisdom before you. And His purpose is not to put it before you in a skeptical way. No, the whole purpose of wisdom in this book and every other wisdom book, for that matter, in the Bible is so that you can live life the way that God has intended for you to live it. That's the whole purpose of wisdom. Biblical wisdom, that is. So that you are enabled to live life well, which is how God has intended for it to be lived. So that's what, that's what the purpose of, of wisdom is, and that's what the purpose of 
of showing foolishness right beside it, contrasting it is. He wants us to see these things, to, to take them to heart, to let them weigh on us, to let them weigh on our hearts, to consider them, to learn from them and live life well. And that's also why what we're going to see here in, at the end of chapter 9 and throughout verse 10 is here as well. Chapter 10, if you guys read through this chapter in preparation for this morning, you notice that the whole chapter is basically nothing but Proverbs. That's all that it is, really. I mean, there's a, couple, there's a story at the beginning, as we're going to see in a moment, from verses 13 to 16. He, he starts with a story talking about the value of wisdom why it should be sought after, why it is desirable. And then he's going to give us a warning about foolishness. So he he holds up the value of wisdom. He gives a warning about foolishness. And then throughout the whole chapter of chapter 10, he's just going to compare the two. He's going to put them right beside each other so you can see why wisdom is valuable and why foolishness is actually very dangerous. And you should know that as we're going through all of these, they're not really organized very well. Some of them have a structure, and some of them are just kind of there. But the whole point is that he's comparing wisdom and foolishness together, and there's an underlying question that he wants you to ask yourself in the midst of it. What does your life look like in light of what you've just read? You know, what does your life look like compared to what is presented before you this morning? The wise life, the foolish life. Are you the wise person or are you the, the foolish person? So let's read these verses together and then we're just going to start walking through them. Beginning in chapter 9, verse 13. The preacher begins, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. 
He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. So now let's flip over back to chapter 9, verse 13. And what we're going to do is I'm basically just going to walk through these verses and we're just going to be commenting on them as we go along because this is the largest section that we have handled so far. So I'm going to try to handle them as quickly and as as adequately as I can with the time that I've been given. So he begins, as I was talking about a moment ago, through verses 13 to 16 with this story. And the purpose of this story is to convey to communicate the value of wisdom. He sets up this almost like a David and Goliath type of story. You have this little city with a few men in it, and this great king, he comes against it, he besieges it, he lays all these great siege works against it, so it just seems that the city's going to be overtaken. But, there's a poor wise man there, and he, by his wisdom, delivers the city through his wisdom. So you see the value of wisdom there. He, through His wisdom, delivers the city. But He's forgotten. And His wisdom is eventually just despised. You know, nobody really cares about it even more, anymore. You know, he, His job is done. You know, he, he brought us through this, this trial. He rescued us, but, you know, who cares anymore? But the preacher doesn't end there. He says, even though it's despised, Even though they don't care about His wisdom anymore, it's still to be valued. It's still to be sought after. Because as He says in verse 16, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So it's better than might. Again in verse 17, He's he's just driving that point home even further. He says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of the ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Let's stop there. So he's driving the point home even further that wisdom is to be valued, is to be sought after, even though it's not shouted out on the rooftops or that it's, it's clearly known like a ruler shouting out foolishness. 
And we can, in a way, you know, see what he's talking about here because you think about wisdom. You think about the ways that you often hear wisdom. Most of the time when you, you hear somebody talking about wisdom, it's, it's not coming in the form of someone shouting it you know, with their voice or coming from a ruler or whatever, the way that he portrays it here. Most of the time it's coming from maybe an older person in a conversation that you're having, you know, in a, in a quiet place, maybe in their living room or over coffee or whatever. That's what he's saying here. Those moments when you hear wisdom in quiet, in insignificant ways, that is to be more desired than the ruler who's just shouting out all of these things that seem so good and are well known, but they're foolish. So you seek after the things that may seem insignificant at first, but are full of wisdom. That's what he's saying there. Again, wisdom is better than weapons of war, similar to what he said a moment ago, that it's better than might. So again, it's better than weapons of war, something that can be also valued. You know, if you go into battle, if you go to a war, weapons are prized. They are desired. If you don't have a weapon, then you'd be thinking, I'm going to lose. But he's saying it's better to be wise. It's better to seek after wisdom than to seek after these weapons. And then at the second part of verse 18, he gives us the warning. So wisdom is valued, it's desirable, it's good, but also you need to watch out. You need to be careful. You need to be cautious. Because one sinner or one foolish person destroys much good. Desire wisdom, but at the same time, you need to be careful who you're around, who you spend your time with. You need to be paying attention to people's character, you know, what's behind the things that they may be saying that sound so good, because one sinner destroys much good. And again, that's the banner that all of chapter 10 is about to flow under. Wisdom is valued, but foolishness destroys. So we need to be cautious. In verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And once again, he's driving that point home even further. He gives us a picture of this perfumer who's selling his perfume and somehow some flies get into it. And once the flies get into it, it ruins the whole thing because it makes it stink. It loses loses its, its scent, its sweet scent. And so it is with foolishness. You think of a a well-known ruler or a well-known official who is known for his wisdom. What happens when he makes a mistake? You know, he, he slips up. He does something foolish. Well, his whole reputation of wisdom just got ruined in that moment. You know, all it takes is just one foolish move to ruin a whole life's work of building up a wise reputation. That's what he's saying here. 
So a little, fo- so a little folly or foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. Now verses 2 and 3, these two verses go together. He says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. So the wise person in his heart makes wise choices and it leads him to the right. And that doesn't just mean the, the sense of direction, you know, the, the right way of direction or the left way of direction. You know, in, in biblical terms, the right and the left refer to what is good or what is bad. And apologize to whoever's left-handed in here. But the right hand is always the, the favored one because it refers to the right path, the, the good path. That's what he's saying here. So the, the wise man's heart inclines him to the good path, the right way. But the fool's heart... It makes him go to the left. He strays from the good path. And he strays so much so that even if he walks on the road, which is level and easy to walk on, he still lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now that doesn't literally mean that he's saying to everybody, hey, I'm a fool, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. But that his character makes that known. You can tell. Going back to what wisdom means, it means for us to, or it it enables us to live our life well according to how God intends for us to live it well, right? So foolishness is the opposite. And you can see that in a fool. You can see that he's foolish because he's living contrary to how God would intend him to live. His character makes that known how he walks, how he talks, his personality, what he loves, what he spends his time doing, what he worships. You can see all of that from his character. He says to everyone that he is a fool. Verse 4, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The picture here is that Offenses have been allayed against you for whatever reason. You've been accused of something. Well, the wise person in this situation is going to be calm because he hasn't done anything wrong. And his calmness is going to prove that. As he says, it's going to lay great offenses to rest. The foolish person, on the other hand, is not going to have this this calmness. They're going to maybe respond in in anger or in aggravation. And and through that aggravation, they're going to to prove their guiltiness. Right? I mean, we see that often in people that you may know of that have committed an offense and you confront them about it. You know, did you do this? And they're, will you come to me about that for? You know, I would, I would never do something like that. You know, they get all uptight about it. They get all twisted inside because they know that they've done it. But the wise person is, is calm. It's like, no, I, I didn't do that. I, w- I wouldn't do something like that. I mean, you can, 
You can, uh, you can test me if you like. You can ask me some questions, but you're going to find out. I, I didn't do that. That's what he's saying here. Calmness will lay great offenses to rest, and the wise person understands that. Now, vi- verses 5 to 7, these three go together. And here he's referring to uh, government. He says, This is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. So this error, this foolishness, it's coming from the top down. It's proceeding from the ruler and it's spreading. It's basically what he's saying. And because of that, folly is set in many high places. And the rich sit in a low place. And I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now what does that mean? Is he, is the preacher prejudiced? You know, is he a racist? Does he have something against slaves and riding on horses? You know, what's the point of of this picture that he's creating here? Well, remember, back in his day, in the original context of this passage, that was normal. That was normal living. He's not saying anything against the poor, or he's not saying anything against the slaves. But in his day, it was very odd to see a slave riding on a horse while a prince walked on the ground. And so what he's saying is that because there's foolishness on the throne and it's spread, now everything is upside down. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Foolishness has spread and the cause, the the result is... Everything has turned upside down. Things are not how it's supposed to be. So again, we see a picture of how foolishness is leading to this destruction. It destroys things. It turns things upside down. And just think about the fall of creation. You know, Adam and Eve's sin, their foolishness. They not only turned their lives upside down, but they turned everything upside down. All of God's creation was turned upside down in a moment because of their foolishness. And that's similar to what's going on here. Foolishness causes this destruction that causes things to not be how they're supposed to be. Now moving on to verses 8 through 11. All of these verses go together. And a moment ago you may have noticed as we were reading that all of these things that he mentions could happen to anybody. They're accidents. I mean, anybody who's digging a pit can fall into it. Anybody who you could say, maybe a construction worker who's breaking through a wall for whatever reason, could be bitten mistakenly by a snake that's there. Anybody who's breaking stones or shaping stones can be hurt by them. I mean, they're heavy. Something could happen. Anyone who doesn't sharpen the edge of their axe when they're chopping wood or whatever, they're going to weary themselves. Anybody who, if they're a charmer, you know, if they don't charm the snake properly, then they can be bitten by the snake. But because of the the tone that's flowing through all of these things, through all of these proverbs, you know, the negative tone and the focus on foolishness, the point here is that all of these things happened to these people 
because they did not value wisdom. They did not prepare properly, I guess you could say. The man who was digging the the pit or the ditch, he did so in a foolish way, and so he destroyed himself. It was self-destructive. He fell into it. The man who was crafting or quarreling stones was hurt by them because he did not use wisdom. He was foolish and it was self-destructive. He destroyed himself and so on. As he says, but wisdom helps one to succeed. They didn't use wisdom. Instead, they were foolish. And it, and it brought, as a result, their own ruin. Verses 12 to... 14, all of these focus on the words that come from our mouths. He begins by saying the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Now if you have a a note at the bottom of your Bible, you may be able to look at that and see that it says favor may also refer to gracious. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. And I think that's the right interpretation, the right way to read it, because the point is not so much that the words bring Him favor, but that they're good to hear. It's good for us to listen to a wise person, because His words are gracious. They're sweet. They bring solution to a problem, like what we were looking at earlier in the the story that He was telling. You know, the poor wise man, through his wisdom, rescued the city. So it is here. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. But, the contrast, but the lips of a fool consume him. The foolish person and his talk consume him. They will destroy him. His words will ultimately destroy him. He multiplies words. The beginning of His words, as He begins to talk, they're they're foolish. It just starts out in a foolish way. But as He continues to talk, you know, as He continues to multiply His words, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And you may be thinking, man, you should have shut your mouth a long time ago. Because what you're saying is just way worse than when you began. That's what He's saying here. And one of the things that these foolish people who multiply words like to talk about is the future. As he says at the end of verse 14, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. They enjoy talking about the future. Their foolish words make things that are uncertain and can't be known seem like they are certain. And something that I thought about as I was reading that verse is all of the people who love to predict when the world is going to end. In, you know, whatever way, whether they they talk about the exact moment that Christ is going to come back, or you think about all the movies that have been made on this stuff, like the movie that's called 2012 and the Great Flood that comes, or you think about the the Y2K event that happened in 2000, you know, all the people that were afraid then. Because a foolish person multiplied words on something that he did not know. 
So when you hear things like that, it's foolish. You don't know. It can't be known. We don't know when the world is going to, to end, when Christ is going to come back. That's one of those things like the preacher's been talking about throughout the book that we can't know. It's mysterious. Only God can know. So when you hear somebody multiplying words like that, don't listen to them. And also, you need to be careful in your own speech. How do you talk? How do you handle uncertain things? Do you multiply words on them? Lead people astray, maybe even mistakenly? Be careful. Words are a powerful thing. If you're not careful, they will destroy you. Verse 15, The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Because the fool doesn't know where he's going, because he doesn't know what he's working toward, he just wearies himself. That's what he means by saying he doesn't know the way to the city. He's working, he's working, he's working. But he just doesn't know what he's working for or where he's going with his work. He's just picture a man cutting a path in the woods. He's just cutting away. He doesn't know where he's going. All he knows is he's just cutting. He, he has no goal in mind. And all he's going to do is just weary himself away and eventually destroy himself. What we should be thinking about here is, are we like that? You know, do we just work, 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 and work, and really just have no purpose in mind what our work is for? As a Christian, what, what, you should, what should you be working for? What should, be, what should you be working toward? It's the kingdom of heaven, right? All that God has purposed in Christ, you know, making that known, working towards the treasure that is found there and not here. You know, what, what's our goal in all of our work? What are we doing all of this for? If we don't have a goal, and if it's not the right goal, then it will lead to self-destruction. Moving on to verses 16 to 19, all of these fit together. He begins by saying, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And child there just means immature, I think. Because in the Old Testament, you may remember, there were child kings. Think of like King Josiah. He, he began reigning at eight years old. He was a child king. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think he's literally talking about a child. I think what he's referring to is immaturity. Woe to you, O land, when your king is immature, when he doesn't know what to do, when he doesn't know how to rule. In other words, when he's foolish. Because when he's foolish, when he doesn't know what to do, your princes will feast in the morning. Which just means that they're going to get drunk. You know, they feast at an improper time. They are gluttons. They don't rule in the proper way. They don't have the good of the kingdom in mind. All they do is worry about you know, partying or whatever. Their foolishness causes destruction on the kingdom. 
But happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, or a prince who knows what he's doing, who knows how to rule. When that happens, when that wise prince or ruler is in that seat of authority, the princes will feast at a proper time for strength, for the good of the kingdom, and not for drunkenness. And again, verses 18 and 19 just drive that home even further. Thinking about the, the immature king and his princes who just feast in the morning, who, are, who don't work for the good of the kingdom, who are lazy. Through their sloth, the roof is going to sink in. Through their indolence, the house is going to leak. Work is not going to be done. But for the king, for the ruler, for the prince who works wisely, they're going to have what they need, which is what he means when he says money answers everything. Money gives what you need. It provides what you need. And wine gladdens life. You will have happiness. Bread is made for laughter. In light of your work, you will have what you need and you will be joyful, you will be happy, you will have your provision for the day, so to speak. And then in verse 20, he closes by saying, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now this is pretty straightforward. Be careful how you use your words and how you talk about people. You know, do you gossip about people? Because if you're gossiping about the king, at some point he's probably going to hear from a little bird or a person, and they're going to take what you said back to him, and he's going to be very angry about it, and he's going to destroy you. Now, we may not necessarily be talking about kings, you know, when we tend to gossip, but the point is, is the wise person doesn't do that. He doesn't get mad at people and then go behind their backs and just talk about them. He doesn't even do it in his heart. You know, he lays those things before the Lord. He lets him take care of that. The foolish person, on the other hand, again, he multiplies words in this area. And it's going to come back and eventually bite him because of it. Now, I want you to turn with me back to chapter 10, verse 2. Because like other parts of this wisdom literature, it's very easy to, to read through all of this, to see all of these wise sayings, and to think to ourselves, you know, I can do that. I can apply these things to my life. I can make my life more successful. I can just make my life better. You know, I can, like self-help, I can help myself by putting all of these things into practice. But again, I want you to focus on what he said in verse 2, where he said, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, and the foolish man's heart inclines him to the left. With that verse, he just crippled you in everything that we just saw. Because your heart is what leads to either the right path or the left path, the bad path, the wicked path. 
And what have we been seeing throughout this book? Something that He made very plain to us last week in chapter 9. He said in verse... Where is it at? In the second part of verse 3 of chapter 9, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. In and of yourself, you're the foolish person and there's no way around it because your heart, because of sin, because of rebellion, because of what Adam and Eve did in the very beginning, what we were referring, referring to earlier, you know, how everything got turned upside down because of their sin, because of that, your heart is filled with wickedness, with foolishness, and in, of, in, in and of yourself, you will always choose the wrong path. You will always stray away from this life-giving wisdom. Always. You're not going to choose it. So what are we to do? You know, once again, we have all of these wise things put before us, and in and of ourselves, we can't grab hold of it and put it into practice. You know, we need someone to to take our hearts and to make them new, to turn everything right side up. And that's what Jesus does in the Gospel. In the New Testament, when we come to the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, you know, the whole purpose of His perfect life is, is that He lives you know, the wise life, the good life, the perfect life, the righteous life for you. He puts all of these things into practice on your behalf. And through His life, because He died for you and then rose for you, you are able to have it because He gives it freely through faith in Him and all that He's done for you. So once again, don't let this book just be about good works. Don't let it turn into a self-help book. Don't think to yourself that in reading this, you can clean your life up, you can you know, do some things better here and there, because that's not the purpose. The purpose is ultimately to drive you to the cross, to seek the wisdom of God that is found there in Jesus, and then, through what He accomplished, you are able to apply this and live your life well. Father, again, as we have looked at Ecclesiastes and we've looked at this wisdom versus foolishness language, I pray that you would continually drive us to Jesus to the cross and all that He's done for us, the truly wise man, and that through Him we would receive this this life-giving wisdom and we would live our lives well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.